Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, Marley was taken by Margareta, her former teacher at the Scholomance, a school of sorcery from which Marley fled earlier this year. On the road, they were ambushed by a vampire who killed Margareta. In the castle, Eon's Oina practice was cancelled due to rain. The Order of the Dragon returned with Marley, having saved her from the vampire. Marley reunited with her family, and the Order's captain told her that Count Dracula would like a meeting with her. The following morning, Abraham discovered the body of a farmer who had seemingly been killed by a vampire the night before. Chapter 12 The Farmer's Afterlife Abraham thought about his uncle. He wouldn't have hesitated. He'd have looked at Marion's body and the small wounds on his neck and said, with that perpetual smile on his face, Time to get to work, nephew. Abraham instead found his mind trying to conjure another explanation for what he knew he was standing in front of. Marion cut his neck in a branch while riding. He fell and an animal attacked him. He wanted to pretend, just for a minute, that he wasn't looking at the victim of a vampire. He wanted to continue living the contented life of a village priest whose concerns were simple and worldly and natural. The woman who had found Marion lying on the ground was still kneeling, praying. Ave Maria Gratia Plena. Her voice was soft. Her eyes were wide. After several more recitations of the prayer, she looked up at Abraham. Nosferatu, Popa, Nosferatu. She crossed herself and, without turning away, stood up and walked backward away from him. She called for her son, who was still standing up the path, holding the reins to Abraham's horse. Pui, pui? He came closer. Mommy? She took a few more steps backward, reaching for the boy. When she found his hand, she turned and looked at him, then back at Abraham and the body of Miriam. The scarf she wore in her head had come unwound slightly, and her hair had fallen into her face. She took a moment to untie it, fix the stray hairs, and replace the scarf. Then, putting both hands on her son's cheeks, kissed his forehead. The boy looked at Abraham for guidance. Abraham walked over, took back the reins, and said, Go, look after your mommy. Abraham tried to put his thoughts in order. Marion had been attacked. He'd need to tell the family. The corpse would need to be prepared correctly, which meant finding a surgeon. Could it be done without starting a panic? It was mid-morning now. He was about halfway between the village and Marion's farm. If he rode straight to the village, he'd be there around noon. Could he find someone to ride back and handle the body? Was there anyone who could inform the family? By the time he rode to the village, then someone rode back. It would be mid-afternoon. Daniela Carmen would certainly come looking for her husband before then. No, he'd have to turn around and go tell her himself. He knelt beside Marion and said, I'm terribly sorry, my friend, but I have to leave you here for a little while. The dead man's arms were lying at his side. Abraham tried to pick them up and fold the hands over the chest, but the limbs were stiff and he couldn't move them. He took a silver cross from his bag and placed it in the right hand. The woman and her son were still standing by the road. Abraham went over to them. Do you live nearby? She looked down the path to Marianne's body. Abraham stepped into her line of sight, then put his hand on her arm. She looked up at him and said, My brother's farm. We're staying with him for the summer, then going back to Bistricia. This man, his name was Marion. I'm going now to tell his family. If your brother lives nearby, I'm sure he knows them. Go on back to him, if you'd like, but don't be fearful. Marion's wife and children will need their friends. His farm, is it not far? She made the sign of the cross. Not very far, no. Will he? Abraham sighed. There was probably no avoiding the woman telling her family about a vampire near their house. They might not believe her, but there was also the chance they'd act out of fear and disturb poor Daniela Carmen. He'd seen for himself in years past what a scared mob could do when superstition took over. I assure you, I will see that this man gets a holy burial. He will not rise again to trouble his family or yours. He is with God now. If you'll excuse me, I have a good deal of riding to do today. With that, Abraham left the pair and rode back toward the farmhouse. 
He thought for a moment about the concept of Spurcat, the local belief that if a man died a violent death, the site of the attack became off-limits. Should he have dissuaded the woman of this? At least it might help to ensure that Marion's body would remain undisturbed until someone could be sent for it. After an hour's ride, he saw another figure on the road ahead of him. It was Peter Octavian, Marion's eldest son. Father, he said, my mother told me to ride out and look for my tata. Just a minute before, Abraham had passed by a fork in the road. At the intersection was a small troita. These wayside shrines dotted the countryside. They were often found at crossroads or the tops of mountains or on long stretches of road. In some areas, it wasn't possible to ride for more than an hour without seeing one. Many were a simple box on a post with a statue of Jesus or the Blessed Virgin or a saint in it. Some, like this one, resembled small chapels complete with peaked roofs and steeples. Come with me, Abraham said to Peter Octavian. He led them to the troita. They tied up their horses and knelt at the shrine and prayed silently. Peter Octavian closed his eyes and bowed his head. Several times Abraham sensed him picking up his head and turning to look at him, waiting for his permission to get up. Abraham prayed first that somehow he was wrong about all of this, that there wasn't a vampire loose in Wallachia, that all he had been avoiding for so long wasn't finally coming back to him. Then, understanding he had to accept that it was, he prayed for strength. He stood and stepped away from the shrine. Peter Octavian did the same. Abraham faced him and sighed. You're 15? 14, father. Abraham sighed again. My son, I have some bad news, and this is going to be hard to hear, but I need to tell you about it now. Is it my tata? Is he hurt? It is. I'm afraid he... He's dead, son. He was attacked last night, riding home. Attacked? Peter Octavian, I know how this will sound, but you must believe that this is not something I would say lightly. I believe that your father was killed by a vampire in the night. An older man might have laughed. He might have thought a strange joke was being played on him. But Peter Octavian was still at an age when a priest represented ultimate authority. Priests didn't tell jokes outside of the bad ones at the end of Mass. The boy cocked his head and thought for a moment, then said, Can we go see him? Is it safe? Yes, we can go see him, if you'd like. Or we can go back and tell your mother first. I'm sure she'll know someone we can ask to go retrieve him. Where is he? About an hour north. An hour, I think. I think Mama will be worrying. We wouldn't be back to her for three hours, then. They rode together toward the farmhouse. After part of an hour had passed, Peter Octavian came up beside Abraham and said, Father, will he be okay if he was attacked? He's at peace now, and we can take precautions to ensure that he stays at peace. Precautions? Not all who are killed by vampires become undead. We will need to do a few things to prepare your father's body before we bury him. What do we need to do? You let me handle that. Peter Octavian's younger brother, Niku, was chasing a cat around the field when they arrived. His sister, Carmen Beatrix, was sweeping the front porch. She called for her mother, who came out and, seeing them approaching, dropped to her knees and let out a wail. Carmen Beatrix went to her, not understanding. What's happened? asked Daniela Carmen. After he told her the news, all of it, she asked, Where is he? About half the way to Kumpana. Too pushy, a little less, maybe. At a walk, it was two hours. Can we bring him here for a privegia? He's not Spurcat. He should lie here until... He's not Spurcat. No one dies away from God's light. You can bring him back here until his burial, but there will be some things I must insist on, said Abraham. On the ride, he thought over what the next steps would need to be. Marion could lie in his house until it was time for a funeral mass. Women could sing the bochette, but the casket would need to be sealed the entire time. There was no way to know if the vampire's curse had spread to Marion, if he'd rise again. But since he'd only been dead one night, there was still time. Tonight, if no surgeon could be found immediately, Marion's mouth would need to be filled with garlic. 
When the surgeon was available, and one must be found before the third night, he would need to sever Marion's head and remove his heart. The head could remain in the coffin. The heart would need to be burned and the ashes scattered over the grave. This would ensure that he wouldn't rise again. It was a terrible thought. Abraham hoped it could be done quickly. I must ride back to the village and start making arrangements. He covered a few more details, sparing Daniela Carmen what he could, save for the strict instructions about the garlic. She insisted he take a meal with him before leaving. He said he really did have to go, but she brought him a bowl of soup to eat on the porch along with a hunk of bread. Then he got back on the road. Peter Octavian went with him for a short way, then veered off to a neighboring farm to ask for help bringing Marion back. Mid-afternoon, the sun shining brightly, Abraham arrived back in the village. He wanted to ride straight for the hill, drop from the saddle, and crawl into bed. Instead, he needed to find Dragos and have an uncomfortable conversation. Kumpana didn't have a doctor. Medicine Wallachia was not on the same level as it had been in Austria. It was, in fact, hardly practiced at all to any modern standard. Illnesses were treated with home remedies, prayers, and superstitions. There were doctors in Pateshti, but Abraham wouldn't be able to get there before nightfall, and he didn't have time to risk how a strange priest's request to desecrate a corpse would be met. Rather, he decided to ask Dragos for help. The village butcher, he would have the tools needed to do the work, along with a good enough understanding of anatomy. Cutting unto a human being was not the same as butchering an animal, but Abraham felt he could count on the man. He was deeply religious. He'd been one of several to come and express anxiety about the werewolf nonsense following the young man's death last month. Abraham had tried to persuade him that werewolves were mere superstitions not to be worried about. Now, he'd have to convince him that vampires, on the other hand, were very much real and in imminent danger. After returning his horse to the stables, Abraham walked through the town square, past the Sarda, on his way to Dragos' shop. From the direction of the statue in the center of the square, he heard several people speaking, then a distinctive laugh. He tried to hurry along, but heard... He tried to hurry along, but heard, Bunazina, father. He stopped and saw Rizion coming his way, breaking apart from the others as he had been chatting. He stopped and saw Rizion coming his way, breaking apart from the others he had been chatting with. Buna, said Abraham, stopping. Hopefully he could make this quick. It wasn't always possible with Rizion. I suppose you've heard already, Rizion lowered his voice, this business about a vampire. I've heard. Of course I've heard. Yes, hmm, terrifying from what they're saying. Good thing the Order of the Dragon got there when they did. The order of the... Rizion, how could they have gotten there? What did they have to do with Marion? Marion? No, Mate's girl. Marley. What's this about Marion? Rizion, why don't you start again and tell me what it is that you think you've heard? The man launched into a story about how his son, Paul, had been talking to a friend who'd heard from Lucia, the castle housemaid, who overheard the Negascrew family saying Marley had been kidnapped by a dance instructor and lured into an attack by a vampire, only to be rescued by Count Dracula's men. Abraham didn't know what to think, other than that he still had to get to Dragos. He thanked Rizion for coming to talk with him, and started to walk off, then turned back. Wait, my friend, where did you say this happened? I'm not sure. Somewhere in the mountains across the river. What day was this, when the guards found her? Saturday morning, I think, or Friday night. They got back last night. Thank you. Abraham walked away without saying anything else. Saturday morning. Married had been killed on Sunday night, on this side of the Argish. Vampires typically couldn't cross running water. Curious. Abraham wasn't terribly hungry when he arrived at the shop, but Dragos' wife insisted on serving him a meal anyway. I was going to make paprikash tonight. Will you stay, father? I love paprikash, but I'm afraid I have several more stops to make. You'll have to come back then another day. I'll see what I can put together in the meantime. Tea? Thank you. Within minutes, she had produced tea and several dishes for Abraham and Dragos to eat. After they had finished the tea, she brought out glasses of shoika. When Abraham finished his, she refilled it. Dragos held his glass out, asking for more brandy, but she just glowered at him and began clearing the table. 
The conversation with Dragos was delicate, but Abraham could tell he believed every word, or, at least, he didn't dare second-guess the judgment of a priest, nor would he refuse a request from one. So he agreed, after crossing himself many times, to perform the surgery in Marion's body. His wife, who had been listening in from the kitchen, burst into tears. Abraham went to her and sat with her on the floor as she cried and crossed herself over and over. I won't have him riding over there now, father. He mustn't be out after dark. Not with Nosferatu about. Of course not. Abraham looked at Dragos, who had joined them in prayer on the kitchen floor. I think it would be best for you to accompany me when I go to pour wine over the body. You can do your work then, with me assisting, and then we can seal the coffin and take it for burial. Dragos agreed, and Abraham went to the door. My friend, I am truly sorry that I have to ask you to be involved in this, but know that you are doing a holy service for Marion and his family. Through tears, Dragos bade him goodbye. Abraham kissed the man and his wife on the cheeks and stepped out into the street. He looked up at the hill and the church's walls. He, again, wanted to climb the hill and into bed, even though it wasn't nearly twilight. Instead, he turned back toward the town square. Every time he walked into the bakery, the smell took him back to being a boy in grass before he entered the seminary. His mother would send him with a purse of jingling fennigs to buy bread and whatever else she needed from the shops. A nice old Austrian woman was always behind the counter, and she'd give him a piece of candy with a wink whenever he came in. Mate was sitting at the counter when he arrived. The sound of the bell brought Lorelein out from the back. He kissed them both and asked how Marley was doing. She wanted to work today, but I refused, told her she needed to rest. She's upstairs, said Mate. I'll take you up, said Lorelein. She led him up the stairs to Marley's bedroom. The door was open. She was sitting in a rocking chair, reading. For a moment, he saw the same small blonde girl he'd known since she was four years old. He remembered the way she'd pick a topic and ask question after question until she knew everything she wanted to know about it. Tears welled up in his eyes. Marley looked up and saw him standing in the hallway. She stood, putting her weight on the arm of the chair, and Abraham rushed over to her and embraced her. My dear girl, I heard little of what happened. I can't imagine. He released her after a minute, and she limped over to her bed and sat down. You have been through so much, and I would like to let you move on and forget it all, but I'm afraid I need to ask you to tell me about the last several days, said Abraham. He turned to look at Loreline, who was still lingering in the doorway. He had intended to ask Marley if they could have some privacy, but then reconsidered. Loreline was a resolute young woman and a strong pillar of support for her sister. Perhaps she could be a help. May I, he asked, pointing to the rocking chair. Please, said Marley. Loreline, would you join us as well? Loreline came in and sat next to her sister on the bed. Abraham remained standing. He steadied the rocking chair with a hand. I would like, if you're willing, to have you tell me every detail of what happened the other night. But first, there are some things I'd like to divulge to you, because it's important that you understand that I am ready to believe you. There are many in Europe who, if they'd even heard of them, would think of vampires as mere superstitions. He sat down in the chair and leaned toward the two young women sitting on the bed. I know that they are all too real. My family was once quite large. Our roots are in Upper Styria, but we had relations in Transylvania as well, and in Moravia. Over a hundred years ago, one of my ancestors, a baron, returned to Graz. There, he met and fell in love with a young countess. Their courtship ended, tragically, with her death before they were wed. Her family, Karnstein was their name, lived in an estate in the countryside. Around the time of her death, the village near her castle came to be haunted by revenants, it was said, the living dead rising from their graves. My ancestor, the baron, concluded that these creatures, these undead, had been the cause of the death of the Countess Mercala. The village had already been abandoned, its people had fled. The baron found the tombs where the creatures had been hiding, destroyed them, and chased down the original vampire. He struck off its head and burned the body. Over time, the village and the castle came to be abandoned, overgrown, and forgotten by most. The baron moved back to Moravia. 
He made the study of vampires and all the demons and evil creatures that roamed the earth into an obsession. He built up a vast library of books on the subject of the occult and magic and made contact with any people doing serious study of the undead, of whom, I'll add, there were and remain few. Abraham paused and let out a sigh. He removed his round spectacles and wiped them with a handkerchief. In time, a descendant of his, my uncle, returned to Styria. By then, the family had greatly diminished in prominence. He settled in one of our remaining estates and devoted himself to the family business of studying and investigating vampirism. My father died when I was quite young. It had been his wish that I enter the seminary after grammar school, which I did. My mother didn't care for my uncle's influence. She never discussed it, but she blamed him for my father's death, and I'm rather sure she was correct too. Regardless, she was unable to keep me from him, and I was quite interested in learning about the occult. He encouraged me to continue with my education, while also teaching me what he knew about the undead. Abraham stood and looked out the window at the street behind the bakery. He paced about in the small circle, then rested both hands on the rocking chair's back, and continued. Well, there are any number of stories I'll skip over for now, except for one that I'll summarize briefly. He was called upon by a friend of his, a general, whose daughter had come to know a young woman named Carmilla. Over time, it was discovered that this girl was in fact the Countess Mercala. She had become a vampire and had been preying upon people in the countryside near Graz for a century. My uncle, thank the Lord, was able to destroy her. My uncle was, then, already a harried man, though not terribly old. He was tall, with a stoop to his bearing and an uneven gait. He always wore black. I suppose I do, too. But despite all he'd seen, he always smiled. What we have that the wicked things do not is our capacity to feel love and joy, he would say. We traveled together for a time. Together, he and I, well, maybe that's a story for another day. Returning to the point, vampires are real. I believe you. Soon, I would like you to come with me to the church. I have a number of my uncle's books there, just a portion of the library, but many of them concern vampires. Marley raised an eyebrow. Oh, she said. The mention of new books for her to read brought a smile to her face. I'd like to show them to you. I'd like you to read them over so we can discover everything there is to know about vampires. Because, Marley, this vampire that you met the other night, who was, thank Providence, unable to harm you, took a victim last night. Once you tell me what happened to you, I'll share my part, but... He removed his spectacles again and rubbed his eyes. He pulled the chair back and sat down, holding his eyeglasses. Girls, I spent years avoiding this, this legacy. A vampire hunting family. I did it for a time, and then I came here to, well, to get away from it. But I've come to think that you can't run from destiny. What are the chances that a vampire would come to a village where Abraham Vordenberg, nephew of the great Baron Vordenberg, just happened to live? No, I think I'm here for a reason, and I think that reason, leaning forward, he pointed to Marley and Loreline in turn with his glasses, is for me to mentor you. I am the last member of my family alive. Our fortune is gone. There are no more of us left in Styria, Transylvania, or Moravia. But I can pass on what all this generation's learned, and you can help me find and destroy this fiend. Thank you for listening. This chapter was originally published in May of 20. We get Abraham's one-page recap of Carmilla, which I've mentioned a few times before. Bram Stoker's short story, Dracula Guest, also references it, which solidified an idea I'd had to try to link several of the early horror books together. From there came the idea to make Abraham A. Vordenberg part of a line of vampire killers in Carmilla. We've already seen another member of the family, Vordenberg Arena, in Flowers of Transylvania. You can follow Wallachia on Twitter at WallachiaNet or on the web at Wallachia.net. I'm Dave Extreme on Twitter. Next chapter, Marley Meets Dracula. <laughs>